0: Welcome to Tomorrow's World! Many people believed that December 21, 2012 would bring the end of the world. Others believed that a new golden age would be ushered in on that date. Both predictions were based on interpretations of the Mayan calendar, and both were wrong. Time and again we see the spectacle of failed prophetic dates, but does this mean that all prophecy cannot be trusted? Here at Tomorrow's World, we believe in prophecy, but the source of our confidence is not in New Age predictions relating to Mayan calendars, but in the word of the Creator God. My friends, do you realize that the book known as the Bible has a flawless track record of predictions spanning thousands of years? Many of these prophecies are very specific and easy to understand, while admittedly others are a bit more difficult. Many of the Bible's prophecies have already come to pass. Others are yet to be fulfilled, and most of these will likely occur within the lifetime of many of you watching this program. Perhaps you've read some of them in your very own copy of this remarkable book. One prophetic theme of the Bible is found in the seven annual festivals given to Israel. Christians who observe them today understand that these festivals foreshadow future events. In other words, they are prophetic in nature. They tell the future in advance. We discussed the first three of them on last week's program and saw that they have already been fully or partially fulfilled, but the last four have not. And this may shock you, but some of you watching this telecast will likely live to see the next three biblical festivals fulfilled. So if you'd like to discover the connection between biblical festivals and what the future holds for you, stay tuned. Welcome again to Tomorrow's World, where on today's program we are going to explore what the biblical festivals and holy days tell us will happen in the very near future, and how these dramatic events will change your world forever. In last week's program we looked at the first three of seven biblical festivals. Passover, Unleavened Bread, and Pentecost marked significant events when Israel came out of Egypt. But the true significance of these festivals did not occur for nearly 1,500 years, and the reality of what they foreshadowed changed the world. The first festival is Passover. As we saw last week, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. In approximately 1444 B.C., following a series of miraculous plagues upon Egypt, each Israelite family was instructed to set aside a yearling lamb or goat. Slaughter it four days later and paint its blood on the lintel above their door and on the two side posts. The firstborn of any who followed God's instructions was spared from death. All other firstborn in the land of Egypt died that night. This became known as the Passover because death passed over the faithful Israelites. But this was only a type. It foreshadowed a far greater world-changing event that took place more than 14 centuries later when Jesus Christ became the reality of those Passover lambs. He was crucified and shed His blood to pay the penalty of sin for us. He was the true Passover lamb that the first Passover foreshadowed. The second feast is called Unleavened Bread. Following the Passover, the children of Israel took seven days to march out of Egypt. During that hasty journey, they didn't have time to let their bread rise, but had to eat flat bread. More than 14 centuries later, the Apostle Paul teaches us that yeast and other ingredients that cause dough to become puffed up are a type of sin. After we accept Christ as our Savior, we must repent of sin by overcoming pride, vanity, selfishness, self-importance, And the transgression of God's laws. We also saw in part one of this series that the seventh day of unleavened bread teaches us that following our acceptance of Christ as our Savior and our repentance from sin, that we must be baptized. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, it explains this. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea on the last day of unleavened bread, this was a type of baptism. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Have you, my friends, considered your need to be baptized? The festival that follows Passover and Unleavened Bread is that of Pentecost. The children of Israel came to Mount Sinai, and on this special day God gave His Ten Commandments. The ancient Israelites didn't have the heart to obey God. That is why God gave the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in 31 AD to figuratively write those same Ten Commandments in our minds and on our hearts. As we saw last week, this is all summed up in Acts, the second chapter, and verses 36 through 38. On that first New Testament day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter preached a very powerful message and he convicted those who were listening that they were guilty of killing the long-awaited Messiah. How could they live with such knowledge? Peter's response was direct. Repent and be baptized and receive God's Holy Spirit. Let's read that passage. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, they recognized Christ as the Passover lamb. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now that describes the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Repent and be baptized. And then it says, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that's Pentecost. These three festivals marked significant events when Israel came out of Egypt, but more importantly, they foreshadowed events that were either fully or partially fulfilled 14 centuries later. Unlike the first three festivals, the last four have yet to be fulfilled but their fulfillment will literally rock the world. Everyone will be affected, and you may actually live to see one or more of them fulfilled during your lifetime. Yes, these remarkable earth-shaking events most likely will begin within the next few years. The next festival, and the one that you may live to see fulfilled, is called the Feast of Trumpets. Following Pentecost, the children of Israel were told to observe this unusual feast. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. As we have already seen, these biblical festivals foreshadowed future events. What could the blowing of trumpets possibly foreshadow? We must not speculate because the Bible interprets its own symbols. The New Testament refers to trumpets in a number of scriptures, and on every occasion except one, these trumpets bring us to a single earth-shaking event known as the Day of the Lord. This day, as it is called, is not a 24-hour day, but a one-year period when great cataclysmic disruptions take place leading up to and including the return of Jesus Christ to rule and bring harmony to this troubled planet. This is also the time of the resurrection of the dead, of all faithful followers of Christ. Notice the connection between a trumpet blast and Christ's return and the resurrection. For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, no discussion of Christ's return and the resurrection of the dead would be complete without turning to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And here we learn that this trumpet that is blown at Christ's second coming is only the last of several trumpets. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Remember that the feast under discussion is called the Feast of Trumpets, plural. The above scriptures emphatically show us what happens at this last trumpet. Christ returns and those who are Christ are resurrected to eternal life. But how many trumpets are there? And what significance can they possibly have for you and for me? The book of Revelation answers these questions. There are seven trumpets and very specific cataclysmic events take place when each one is blown. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So we now know the number is seven. We've already seen what happens when the seventh is blown, but what about the others? Time does not permit me to explain all of the trumpets, but let's notice a couple. Then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, Visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. Bill Bryson's book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, is not a treatise on the Bible, but a book about science. In it he reveals some important facts about Yellowstone National Park in the United States. It's a most interesting place to visit for a variety of reasons, but chiefly because it sits on a large dome of molten lava a short distance under the crust of the earth. There are numerous hot springs, geysers, and mud pots found throughout the park. Every scientist familiar with the park is well aware that it has a volcanic origin, but for many years no one seemed to know, or for that matter, even care where the caldera was located. It turned out that Yellowstone is a super volcano, and the entirety of the park, stretching 40 miles across, approximately 60 to 65 kilometers, is the caldera. It is so large that standing on the ground you cannot recognize it, but it's obvious from space. What scientists now know is that there have been volcanic explosions in the distant past infinitely greater than anything known in recent history. That which is described in the second trumpet in the book of Revelation, something like a great mountain burning with fire, thrown into the sea, and a third of the living creatures in the sea dying, and a third of the ships destroyed, is not nearly as far-fetched as we might imagine. This is especially possible in the highly concentrated shipping lanes in the neighborhood of the South China Sea, where one third of all ships pass. This is also an area known to host some of the world's largest and most explosive supervolcanoes. That's pretty frightening, but the third trumpet is equally scary. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. In recent years, scientists have learned that there are a lot of objects floating in space crossing Earth's orbit. Some of these asteroids are large enough to do serious damage if they were to impact our planet. According to Bill Bryson, altogether is thought, though it is really only a guess based on extrapolating from cratering rates on the moon, that some 2,000 asteroids big enough to imperil civilized existence regularly cross our orbit. But even a small asteroid the size of a house, say, could destroy a city. The number of these relative tiddlers in earth-crossing orbits is almost certainly in the hundreds of thousands, and possibly in the millions, and they are nearly impossible to track. In February of 2013, the world was shocked at the sudden explosion of a meteor over Russia. Early estimates pegged the meteor at 10 tons, but scientists quickly revised that estimate to closer to 10,000 tons. Yet scientists did not see this meteor coming. It caught everyone off guard. According to the CBC News, it exploded with a force of 20 atomic bombs. One can only imagine the disaster if it had directly impacted a high population area instead of breaking up 30 to 50 kilometers above the earth's surface. The Feast of Trumpets pictures a terrifying time in the future when God will gain mankind's attention. Seven trumpets are symbolically blown, ushering in earth-shaking events over a one-year period, with a seventh marking the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of His faithful followers. The return of Christ must occur if mankind is to survive. When He walked up and down the hills of the land that we now call Israel, it was impossible to comprehend the kind of weapons developed in the 20th century, but Jesus predicted man would develop the potential to destroy all human life. Had not those days been cut short, not a soul would be saved alive. However, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The Feast of Trumpets reveals that God will intervene to stop man's madness. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The fifth holy day is called the Day of Atonement, and it answers a lot of questions. How is it, my friends, that we can send men to the moon? but can't live harmoniously here on the earth? Why can't nations put their swords down and live with each other in peace? Why can't husbands and wives get along? What is man's problem? The Day of Atonement gives us the answer. It reveals a future event that will dramatically change our world. It will literally change the way men think. This special day, known by the Jews as Yom Kippur, will follow closely on the heels of Christ's return. Even with Christ ruling as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the world could never live harmoniously unless a powerful negative spirit being is removed. As we have shown on other Tomorrow's World programs, the God of this present world is none other than Satan the Devil. Notice this in Ephesians, the second chapter. Atonement is a contracted English word. When separated, it means at-one-ment. In other words, it pictures how we can become at one with God. Revelation 20 describes the removal of that powerful spirit being who creates disharmony between man and God, and man and his fellow man. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into a bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. That deceptive manipulator who has influenced the minds of men to live in disharmony will be taken out of the way, and wars among individuals and nations will come to an end for a thousand years. The sixth prophetic holy period is called the Feast of Tabernacles, and it foreshadows this thousand year period of peace and harmony. It's difficult for us to believe that the world can be at peace. History tells us that the world has never really known peace, and conflicts between nations and neighbors, between husbands and wives, and family members are commonplace. Yet the Feast of Tabernacles is a prophecy of a peaceful, harmonious world. It is the natural result of the return of Jesus Christ, pictured by the Feast of Trumpets, and the removal of Satan pictured by the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Tabernacles assures us of a peaceful, harmonious future, for mankind, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Isaiah also shows that the whole world will come to understand God's righteous ways that will bring about harmony. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The blind, both literally and figuratively, will be healed, and even the natural world will be transformed. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. When Christ returns, he is not going to bring about harmony all by himself. He's going to give rewards of rulership to His servants who have, during this lifetime, learned to love God and love their neighbors. Jesus is even now training His followers to exercise a very different kind of leadership. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Those who truly learn that it's better to give than to receive are the ones that are spoken of in Revelation, the 20th chapter and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There is one more prophetic festival in God's plan, and it is called the Last Great Day, and a great day it is. It looks forward to a very specific time in the future when God will resurrect to life all those who have never heard the true gospel, or if they did, they were so deceived by Satan that they could not understand it. This feast foreshadows a time when billions of people will have their first real opportunity to choose God's way. Numerous scriptures describe this time. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The books that are opened are the books of the Bible that have been closed to these people. Note also that the book of life is open, not closed. Jesus referred to this time of judgment on several occasions, and you, Capernaum, exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Time does not permit me to elaborate further on this seventh feast, but we have a booklet that covers the meaning of this day in great detail. It answers so many questions that people have about children who die prematurely, about people who never heard of Jesus Christ, and about what happens to friends and family who simply don't understand the biblical message. You really need this information contained in this booklet, so please go to our website that will be shown momentarily, where you can read or download our booklet, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan, and also another booklet, Is This the Only Day of Salvation? These booklets give vital knowledge you need to know about the meaning of life and where this world is headed. Be sure to come back next week at this same time and station to learn more about tomorrow's world and God's plan for mankind. Until then, goodbye, friends! If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.